forgot when I was counting the blessings to mention the people of Antioch. And it's kind of a take it. If I drink from this, is, are they going to hear? <laughs> Mute. It's fun just, uh, Josh and I were talking during the worship, just that we look forward to Sunday mornings. And I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I never really looked forward to Sunday mornings. And so as a big kid, it's kind of fun to look forward to things like that. What we're going to do this morning is just talk about the vision of Antioch, the dream. And that's important because it's hard to get excited about something if you don't know why it exists, what it's about, and where it's going. Does that make sense? I mean, it's pretty hard to, to get excited when you don't know where the destination is or that, that there's a picture that really is appealing to you. And so I want to really kind of recast the vision for Antioch, and I'm going to do it by using four words that you'll kind of see on everything we do, and it's just four loose, abstract words that we can kind of infuse with meaning. And so the first one is this, it's just truth. And truth is a big deal to me. Uh, It's a huge deal to me. Um, I still remember the song that really put me on the road to being an atheist, and it was by a band called Live, um, which was really big back in the, I don't know, late 80s, early 90s, well, 90s. Um, But it was... What the line from it was, what a, what a man did 2,000 years ago means nothing at all to me today. Let's get it together. Uh, and the whole idea is kind of like, let's leave this religion that's based in something that's, that's obviously ridiculous because 2,000 years ago, people didn't know anything. Um, and if, if someone all of a sudden, I don't know if you've seen Life of Brian, but it's like, you know, they would think anything was a miracle. And I kind of went down that road of like, yeah, well, those people probably were stupid. And, and, and that took me in a, in a horrible direction. And when I came back around, it was because I was able to look at the scriptures and find out there's something here uh, that I can believe in. You know, it doesn't matter how many years ago it was, whether it's 2,000 or 3,000, if somebody's dead and then all of a sudden they're not dead, they, they, they kind of know the difference, okay? They might not know a lot about uh, biology or chemistry or astronomy or whatever, but that's a pretty easy call. And so for me, it was the intellectual side that really brought me back to the faith, and truth is important. And I think Jesus always answered questions because he believed truth was important. He didn't just say, I'm the way, believe in me, period. He said, I am the way and the truth. And the more we ask questions and the more we pursue, the more we're going to come closer to Christ. If he is the truth, then the more we pursue him, the more we're going to find him there. If you seek, you will find. And so truth is a big deal for me. When I went to seminary, instead of taking the route that you're supposed to take if you're going to become a pastor where you learn how to love people, I took an academic route because truth was a big deal to me. And I'm passionate about philosophy and history and theology. And as a result, I don't know how to love people. So, uh, if you need counseling, uh, you might want to go to someone else. If you come to me, I'm going to probably give you a book. Um, that's just how that goes. But truth is a big deal. And that's why our first commitment at Antioch Church is, is to be Christ-centered. Uh, the, the Bible points to Christ. 
It either points forward to Christ or it points back to Christ, but he stands in the middle of the whole thing. And so we have to be Christ-centered at a church if we're going to lead people somewhere that's going to be life-changing. Because this isn't just a religion about experiencing certain things. It's a religion about truth, and Christ is truth. And so this church is going to be Christ-centered. Now, that doesn't mean this church is going to be for you. Um, It might not be. You might need to find somewhere else. Not every place fits everybody. But if you go to find another church, I would just pray that you would find a Christ-centered church that teaches the Bible. And I'm okay with you going anywhere in this town if you're going to a church that values Christ and values the Bible. And so even if you have to move on for whatever reason, I'll even help you find another church. I believe in the local church more than I believe in Antioch. Antioch is exciting because of the local church and God's plan for it. And we get to kind of partake in that. Does that make sense? But it's bigger than just us. But wherever you go, whoever you talk to, whoever you send to a church, make sure you send them somewhere that's Christ-centered. Otherwise, I don't know what they're really doing when they gather together. But truth is a big deal. We're about to launch into a series that I'm really excited about. It's uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, which is kind of like the, the Henry David Thoreau part of the Bible. And we're going to do six weeks on Ecclesiastes, and Brandon Groza is going to kick it off next Sunday. And what's fun to me is the Bible speaks to all of life. And the book of Ecclesiastes is kind of the corrective to a lot of the other parts of the Bible. Most of the Bible is, you know, do this and this will happen. Uh, Seek to be obedient and God will bless you. Or the book of Proverbs, here's wisdom. These actions lead to this kind of life, and and it's got that kind of a formula to it. But we all know that sometimes that just doesn't seem to work, right? And so we turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, and the book of Ecclesiastes affirms that, you know what, life is messy, and it's difficult, and the good guy doesn't always win, and the bad guy sometimes does win, and in the middle of this, we have to find God, and we have to accept our lot and and find joy as well. And so I'm just excited about launching into a book of the Bible because this book, the scriptures, They speak to all of life. Wherever you're at, there's something in here that God wants you to read, wants you to ponder, wants to study, because you're going to find him as you reflect on this. So truth is a big deal. Beauty. We're going to worship God in truth, and the second one is beauty. And that's my way of saying that God is an artist. And I don't care how often you go out into nature, uh, and I don't care how much time you spend out there, I don't care whether you go towards the Ocho Coast or the Cascades or the coast, you're going to see millions upon millions upon millions of colors. Right? I mean, agree with me? And you're never going to stop and have this thought. Wow, that really clashes. That just, that just doesn't do it for me. That doesn't go. That squirrel just is really, I don't know, the whole background, it's just not working with the background. Um, God... I mean, think of how hard that would be to do. God is an artist. God values beauty. God tells us to find him in the sunset and in the stars and, and in the trees and the, the things of beauty and to extrapolate out from those things to him. He's creative. And God creates specific people with gifts in the area of art. Okay, And there's only some people, because I mean, I know some people don't have gifts in the area of arts, But God gives everybody 
the ability to appreciate art. Everybody is moved by, by beauty. Everybody. And so what's bothered me since I've been a Christian is that those that can create art sometimes are the least important in the church community. That they walk in and it's like their voice isn't heard or they, they have to check their talent at the door. And that just doesn't make sense because they were given the gifts that are somehow able to get to the core of who we are and ignite us. I look at art as the lighter fluid. Remember those old charcoal, like in college, we never had the gas ones. And uh, we had the charcoal briquette barbecues. Remember those? And it was pretty scary with the group of guys I ran with in college because uh, you knew there was the time for the lighter fluid to come out. Remember that? And, and you know, you start by dousing it, and you have to keep it around because it doesn't always take the first time. And then you kind of start getting creative with it, and it starts getting scary. You know, they're making these trails so the fire will, you know. Um, but, but those charcoal briquettes, without that lighter fluid, you know how hard that You can't light them, can you? I mean, it's just impossible. But once they're lit, you can't put them out almost. You know, you can put anything on it you want, and you just can't get these things to die out. And the people with artistic ability, they're the lighter fluid for the rest of us. And so we value beauty. I'm excited for the day when we have enough Antioch artists. I'm, I'm amazed at how quickly God has brought artists to this church. It's, it's cool when a vision kind of begins to happen and become reality. But there's going to be a day when we can put on easels out there, you know, a focus artist of the week in paintings or pictures. There's already people that have sent pictures that we use for the backgrounds of some of our slides. Uh, there's just so many things that we're going to be able to do Kim with a lot of the art classes for kids, for adults, to really value the arts in our church. And one of the things I'm most excited about is just the coffee house vision. And if you haven't heard about that, we're, there's a team that's going to meet this Thursday, actually, to start making this a reality. And we're going to own a coffee house in Bend that's going to stay open until 11 o'clock at night because this town dies at like 8 o'clock or 5 o'clock or something. And it's going to be art happens in there, Okay potter's wheels and easels for painting and a soundstage and it's going to be a a sweet coffee bar uh, and there's a chance that we might even be selling the coffee from our village in Uganda um, because there's a coffee growing region and it's, I don't know, it's going to be pretty sweet. And what we're going to do is add a place where we're going to sell paints and paintbrushes and canvases and leather-bound journals for poets and everything else and it's art happens here. And it's not going to be a Christian coffee house. Um, it's going to be run by Christians, but it's not going to be a Christian coffee house. It's a place where, where we get to rub shoulders with culture. Because people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I'm tired of beating on people about the gospel. And so it's St. Francis of Assisi kind of put it this way, preach the gospel at all times and only when necessary use words. And there needs to be a place where we can rub shoulders with the kind of people we like and the people we're trying to just be in dialogue with and build relationships with them and be able to say, you know what, our God is the God of art. Our God is the God of beauty and creativity and love. And so one of the reasons uh, we have these Celtic, like, Celtic knots on everything, if you've ever wondered that, is because everything is symbolic. That's really what art taught me. Everything says something. Nothing's neutral. 
and we want to be a community here, and, and the Celtic knots have no beginning and no end, and, and they really express that whole idea of community, among other things. And so we want to be a church that worships God through beauty and symbolism and meaning and finds the things like community through that. Third thing is meaning. I was watching a, uh, you know, those old reruns, and I couldn't believe that this movie was that old, but it really was, but Deep Impact. You remember the summer when everyone thought the Earth was going to end, and there was like all these movies about asteroids hitting the Earth? It was like a whole year. It's like every movie was an asteroid's going to hit the Earth. Um, and Deep Impact was one of these movies. And if you remember seeing the movie, towards the end, they say, you know what, we, we weren't able to divert this, this big comet or asteroid or whatever and it's going to knock out the earth and and there's only going to be a certain number of people that live and and so we've prepared these caves and a million people can live in these caves for two years out of you know however many people in america right and they then said we're going to do a lottery to figure out who goes into these caves and nobody over the age of 50 is going to make it and that i was offended by that for you older people I, th- I think there should have been some wisdom in there. Um, but the, uh, I was sitting there watching this, and they, they showed a scene where one person gets the phone call that they're going to be in the cave. And they're watching the TV when they, they get the phone call, and they're with their neighbors, their best friends. And the neighbors don't get a phone call. You know? And have you ever realized that good news is only good news if it has something to do with you? I mean, am I right? Meaning is, in some sense, only meaningful if you're connected to it in in some way, shape, or kind. Meaning has to connect with the heart for you to really embrace it. You can be happy for people. It's meaningful for them. But for something to really draw you in and say, this is meaningful, you've got to be organically connected to it in some way, shape, or form. And that's what God had in mind for the church. Paul calls it the body which means everything is organically connected. It's, it's, you cannot separate yourself from it. It's not like a glove where you know, the senior pastor bangs on you to do a function, but you're not really connected to the church. You know, it's like the hand. You, you do something, you serve a role, but you're also, you've got ownership. You're part of the whole thing. And that's what God wants for the church, and that's what carries meaning, and that's what I kind of alluded to last week, is this doctrine of the priesthood, what's called the priesthood of believers. Every member's a minister. So I want to take you to two verses real quick, if you would. And the first one's in Exodus. In uh, Exodus chapter 19. And the first time I realized this, I was just blown away by it. it and what... God does is kind of set something up here, and then we're going to pick it up in Peter. But it says this in verse uh, 5 of chapter 19 of Exodus. He's talking to the nation of Israel, okay, this whole large community. And this is what he says, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, and God is always saying that, isn't he? I mean, that's probably said that more than anything else in the whole world other than I love you. He said, Now would you just obey me? Keep my covenant. Here he is saying it again. Then out of all the nations, you, plural, will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And these are the words that you are to speak to the Israelites. This group of people 
they're going to be a holy nation of priests. In some sense, they're going to be the go-between between between those that don't know God and God, that they kind of mediate that, and they point to God, and they're, they're his appointed people. Does that make sense? Now listen to what Peter says if you flip all the way over to the New Testament. And it's 1 Peter 2.9. And Peter talks about Jesus, and then he says this. We'll pick it up in, yeah, 1 Peter 2.9. And now he's talking to the church, Peter is. So here we've got a you plural again, but he's talking to the church. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are, a, are the people of God. And once you had not received mercy, and now you have received mercy. And somehow by receiving this mercy and being brought into that circle, you are a nation of priests. You're a nation of priests. So I don't care who you are. If you're a believer, you are a pastor or a priest. Does that make sense? It's hard for us to believe because we've grown up in a culture that says there's these people called priests or pastors, and then there's the other people. This is sacred, this is secular. This is high and lofty or special, and this is normal and average. And that's, that's ingrained in us, and it's not accurate. There's no one who stands between you and God. You go to God directly. There is no mediator. Christ is the only mediator for you. And you bear a responsibility as a member of a body to do what God called you to do, what he gifted you to do. And so you're a part of that whole thing, right? And so I kind of hate the word pastor. And so I've tried to get rid of it a lot of times. And, uh, we, you know, the better word would be like brother Ken, but then you'd think I was weird, right? So we just stick with the word pastor, but somehow we have to strip it of this idea that it's, it's special or different or more important. I serve a function you serve a function. We're all in this together. I almost showed the, the clip from A Kingdom of Heaven, um, but I get bothered by, by uh, Orlando Bloom's voice in it, and it, it bugged me. Uh, but he's a knight there, and he's, he's about to try and defend Jerusalem, and there's all these commoners, and, and he's, uh, you know, there's kind of a, a bad priest um, that's there, and the guy's like, how are we going to do this? There's no knights and or Orlando Bloom's character says, what do you mean there's no knights? Look at all these people. And he grabs his sword, and he just starts knighting them. And, and this priest who was into the hierarchy of things was freaking out. You can't do that. There's, no, there's, a, there's a better and a worse and above a lower. There's all these kinds of distinctions, and you, you can't do that. And Orlando Bloom's no, we're all created equal. And in some sense, that to me is the whole idea of this priesthood of believers, is there is no super Christian. There are only the family of God where there's brothers and sisters, and we all have a responsibility. And, and when we push this whole dichotomy too far, what happens is, is people just check out, and there's no meaning in church for you. You just come on Sundays, and, oh, I got a decent church. It's okay. It's fun. But there's nothing really meaningful. And what, what needs to happen is people find their gifts and use their gifts, whether it's in small groups, in starting ministries, uh, in, in doing all sorts of things. I'm jazzed about that middle school thing going on. I can't do middle school. It's like 10 minutes and I, I can't, I get burned out. 
don't have that kind of energy. And so it's exciting to see when people use their gifts. And somehow we all have to do that because if you don't use your gifts, it'd be like a hand that's not being used. Okay? Church is like a canoe. If you're not rowing, you're slowing it down. And God designed it so that we would all be engaged and we'd all be taking part in this thing. And so it's the priesthood of believers. We're all involved. I don't want to be a pastor. This is just, maybe you can just frame this in your mind for me and and hear me on this because this is at the core of who I am. And we've talked about this and the leadership talks about it all the time. We, our job is to empower other people to find their calling and to use their gifts. That's our job, period. As pastors, our job is not to do the work. It's to help others be released and equipped and empowered. And the way I've seen that work out in churches before is in a a wrong sense, which is the, the pastor comes up with all these pet projects that he's really giddy about. And then he comes up to the people in the church and beats them over the head with, it's your job, Ephesians 4, to do the work of the ministry. You got to do this. But there's no ownership because it wasn't their idea. It doesn't fit their passions. And it burns people out. It burns, the church can burn people out. And so we're committed here to not just starting a whole bunch of things and then putting the pressure on everybody to kind of work in them. We're here saying, you have got a calling, that little whisper that you heard 10 years ago. Five years ago, whenever it was that you felt like somewhere along the way, I've got to do this. It's a vision God's given me, and I want to be there to help you make that a reality, to help you make that dream come true, God's dream for you come true. And that's meaning. Okay, and we want to, we want to worship God through truth. We want to worship God through beauty. We want to worship God through meaning. And the last one is this, adventure. Um, church should be, uh, it should be fun, I think, uh, for one. There's a quote I've been kind of fond of. It's Angelo Dundee, who was the trainer for Muhammad Ali. And he had this quote. He says, I'm in the fun business. If you make it fun, you'll be good at it. And I think we all know that to be true, don't we? And I think God says when a bunch of people come together and get excited together and focus on a task together and doing something together, even if it's a difficult task or a stressful task, there's going to be joy in that. Now, there's always joy when we we co-labor with God. Our God is a God of joy. The kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy, says Paul. So joy is always going to be a part of the mix when I think we partner up with God and try and do what he wants to do. And that's what we want to do at Antioch is partner up and be about something other than just ourselves. We're not here to just have a great time and make it about us. It's about doing what God called us to do, and that's an adventure. And so the name Antioch, we took it for a bunch of reasons, but here's one of them. Uh, well, first, the first one, I'll just give you that, was it was the first church that, you've ever, that we see in the, the Bible where Jews and non-Jews had to come together and find community. And I thought, wow, that's a great picture of what we have to do in this post-Christian world. You know, not everybody's born in a Christian home or raised a Christian. And somehow we have to be able to, like that coffee shop, live together and begin to love each other together and then worship God together. And the second reason we took the name is this. They went to a prayer meeting one night and they took Paul and they took Barnabas and they decided that night in prayer to send them off. Just goodbye. Go take the good news to other people. 
And it would be like a church in town taking the senior pastor and the senior associate pastor and in one night saying, you know what, we're going to send you off. Can you imagine how committed they were? And so the way I put that is this. We, we here, the church at Antioch was willing to do this, and we want to emulate that. We want to take the best of what God gives us and give it away. It's, to me, that's faith. It's better to give than to receive. And we want to take the best of what God gives us and somehow give it away, whether it's in Uganda or whether it's building a, a habitat house or whether it's doing ministry or whether it's taking somebody and sending them somewhere where they need to be because that's where God's called them to be. And we want to be willing to take the best of what God gives us, send away and hold things loosely because it's about the kingdom. It's not just about us. There's a book that the leaders are just now starting to read through. It's called This Beautiful Mess by Rick McKinley, who's a pastor in Portland. And it's a, I think it's a phenomenal book, and it's a great church over there. And they've kind of got the similar attitude. It's not about us. It's about the kingdom. And there's a great chapter in here on, uh, on the environment. You know, And to me, that's a great principle of, hey, it's not about us. Christians need to be at the forefront of saying, we're stewards of this world. We don't just use it. And there's about 20 copies of this out, out on the book table that will be here after the service. And I just encourage you to read along with the leaders of the church. Um, pick up a copy at cost. We don't make anything on the things we put out there. It's just a resource table. But pick up a copy and just read and think and pray, God, how can you use me? And the whole idea here is that it's outward. And so... What it really boils down to, to me, at this level of adventure is we want to change the world. I mean, I've never met a person before that didn't have that as some kind of idealistic notion in their head. I want to change the world. Even someone who's pursuing a rock band or someone who's pursuing advanced studies or or getting a lawyer degree or a medical degree, whatever you do, you're doing it because in some sense, the way God wired you up, it has influence associated with it being a school teacher, being a mom. And you want influence, why? Because influence is what changes people and what changes structures and what changes society. And it's about changing the world. And we don't always see it that way. It's kind of deep in here. But we all want to be a part of changing the world. Here's a quote I came across last Monday. It was Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And so I was just kind of doing some studies and it was kind of a fun deal, and I came across this from something he wrote on February 28th, 1954, that he entitled, Rediscovering Lost Values. But just listen to what he wrote. I decided early to give my life to something eternal and absolute, not to these little gods that are here today and gone tomorrow, but to God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I decided early to just take everything I had and not spend it on lowercase g's, you know, stupid stuff, but to exhaust myself for the absolute and eternal and loving God who made me, who created me, who loves me, who deserves my time and my energy and my heart. And I love that quote. And we want to be about the same thing. And I learned when when I was at Clemson University, I had two more years left after I got saved, and I went to this little reformed group, and they would bring in guest speakers, and and I've probably shared this story a million times, 
And after a while, I was, I was just stupid. I didn't know anything. And I just kind of sat there and soaked it up. And I began to see something that there was always people that came in telling these God stories. I was a part of this mission. I was a part of this group. I was a part of this. And I saw God do this. I said, there's always people coming in and sharing God stories. And there was always people listening. And they were always kind of listening. And so I, I learned there's two kinds of people in this world. Those who, are the, the, those who are the ones that are telling the God stories. And those are the, who are the ones that are listening. So there's two kinds of people. Those who tell and those who listen. And the problem with listening is it leads right to envy and jealousy, which is a sin. And so I kind of was like, I don't want to spend the rest of my life sitting there listening and sinning. I want to be a part of telling the God stories, which means I got to put myself out there. If it wasn't possible to change the world, um, then I honestly believe God wouldn't have told us to try. Okay? And we learn that the sacrifice of everything you have and are, we learn that it is sufficient to change the world from the cross. Christians are taught from the cross that if you are willing to die, if a seed is willing to die, it can, it can turn into something great. It can lead to change and it can bear fruit. And so at the core of our faith, we're taught that we can change the world if we'd only commit to it. I don't know what this uh, next year is going to look like. It's kind of a weird thing. I think with most things in life, you just look at what's been before and you can extrapolate out and you kind of know what next year is going to be like. You know, a few changes, modifications, stuff like that. Um, might have a different pastor, might have this, might have some more ministries, who knows. But you can kind of like extrapolate out what it's going to look like a year from now. With Antioch, it's just a big fog. I have no idea what we're going to look like a year from now. I have no idea what we're going to be able to look back and say we've accomplished or done or experienced together. And it's kind of on one side scary, okay? Like the unknown has always got a little element of fear to it, right? But on the other end, there's nowhere I'd rather be because it's an adventure. I want to be a part of the body of Christ. And there's nowhere to better express that that than in something new where you can say, I helped do this. I was a part of birthing and building that church. It once was not there, and now it's there. Look at that. That's amazing. And I had a part in it. And so to me, it's so exciting that we're new and we're starting out, and it's this big adventure And I just want to make sure we keep dreaming big dreams for God. That we keep a spirit of adventure that's saying it's not about us. It's about giving it away and and focusing on others. And a verse that's kind of been at the core of who I am since I got into ministry is Ephesians 3.20. And it says this. Uh, It's kind of like a little prayer. It says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. To him be the glory forever and ever. But really focus on those words. To to he who can do more, immeasurably more, than all we ask or imagine. Okay, so you got to elevate to the top of your imagination. Okay, imagine all you can imagine, all you can dream, elevate there. God can do immeasurably more than that. That's when it starts challenging our faith, doesn't it? 
I mean, that's a little bit scary. Gee, can I really hang on to that? Can I really live like that? Can I really believe, like, I can say those words, but can I really mean those kinds of words, right? So God can do immeasurably more than what we imagine. And so what I want to make sure we do is that we keep challenging each other through creativity to keep dreaming big dreams for God. Because if we stop dreaming, man, we're going to inhibit what the Holy Spirit can do through us. We're the limiting factor here, not God. Does that make sense? And so at the core of who we are, let's just lock on to some big dreams and let's just get excited. And when two or three of us are gathered together, let's kind of poke each other with a stick or squirt some lighter fluid on each other and just say, you know what? We need to burn for God. Bend needs us to burn for God. Bend needs us to try some pretty big things even if we fail. And God is looking at us and saying, do you believe? Do you really believe? I want to know, <laughs> do you really believe? Because I'm ready. I can do more than what you'll ask of me. I just want to know how much you believe. And we can't delegate faith. We can't. Faith is one of those things that you got to own it or or you don't own it. You can't delegate it. I can't delegate it. We as a congregation can't delegate it. And so somehow, some way, like Hebrews says, we encourage each other daily. When things are going good, we encourage each other. When things aren't going good at Antioch, we encourage each other because God can do more than all we would ask of him. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray. Father, uh, this is your church. It belongs to you and the glory is all yours. And if we really would see things through right eyes, we can labor, we can plant, we can water, but it's your Holy Spirit that's going to make this church grow. And so we do pray to you, recognizing we need you to be a part of this. And that if we succeed, it will be to your glory and, and we want to worship you in truth. We want to worship you in beauty We want to have a meaningful church where we can just pour out our praises to you because of what it feels like, the joy to be involved with a body. And Father, let us keep it on the edge. Let us not get in a rut, become complacent. Let us be out where faith is demanded of us, trying to change the world and crying out to you for the strength to do it and the ability to do it. Let us worship you through adventure. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. We're going uh, gonna to take the offering now. And it's not a must, it's a get-to kind of a thing. And if you've got that connecting card, just drop that in the bucket. We'd love to put some things in your hands. And the guys are going to lead us in worship, and we might have time to do that hymn again. Um, I surrender all, if you can pull that off. So... <laughs>